Here's the here's the decision on the row anniversary. Right, anything. Boom, oh boom, my boom. god, could you imagine if they did that? Oh, oh my god. no. <laughs> it is the darkest timeline, Jess. Thank you so much for I've that. Ever heard. <laughs> Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to the year-end episode of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire Newsgroup podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that wishes you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Abortion New Year. (laughs) I'm Rewire Newsgroup Senior Editor of Law and Policy, Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo, Rewire Newsgroup's Executive Editor. Rewire Newsgroup is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires you to keep some plan B on hand. You know, just in case. case. (laughs) And the Boom Lawyered podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. There is so much cool stuff on our website right now. I don't even think you understand. So I'm just going to let you know. We've got a lot of great stuff on our website. Caroline Riley, our legal fellow, continues to crush it. She put out a really great holiday gift ideas to thank the abortion activist in your life. And it includes things like a Netflix gift card for self-care and a vibrator for similar reasons. Uh, I mean, that's our Caroline. (laughs) Totally. That's just that is Caroline's vibe. That's her jam. Also, I wanted to remind you that we've got this amazing special edition called The Gathering Storm. Yeah. And it's all about the ways in which, you know, this post-row world is going to be steeped in the criminalization of pregnant people and the ways in which states are using child endangerment laws and chemical endangerment laws and all of these non-pregnant people targeted laws to actually ensnare pregnant people. It's great. Your editor's note was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Really, really, really right on. I have a pretty good piece of I'm going to toot my Your own piece damn horn. smoking. And frankly, it's just, it's it's excellent. So please go check it out. The artwork is amazing. Yeah, oh, really. So proud of us. We are very, I'm very proud. I'm proud of us just generally. This has been a difficult year and we put out a lot of really good content. So while you're on break, poke around wewirenewsgroup.com. There's a lot of cool stuff there. There is. Also, I wanted to give a fan shout out, but this fan shout out is more of like an organization, like a huge, just a behemoth in the abortion world. The Guttmacher Institute. What? I know. They actually tweeted what we're listening to. On the latest episode of Boom Lawyered, Angry Black Lady and Hegemami recap this week's SCOTUS arguments in the case on Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. Don't miss it. Three down emojis, one in each color, brown, light brown, and white, <laughs> and then hashtag abortion is essential. And I just, I, I love that. The Guttmacher Institute, like I said, is a giant of an organization. They've been doing abortion statistics, abortion legislation. I mean, they're the go-to spot for a lot of this stuff, and it's and it's great that they're listening to us. And thank you, Guttmacher. Yeah, truly. So, Amani. Yes. I am really proud of you for taking some time off this week. Oh, like, truly. I, thank you. Thank I, you. We, we've worked really hard. And, you know, we come from this, like, law firm background. So time off is, like, really not in our wheelhouse, right? No, like, we yeah. just don't know how to take time off. Yeah. But what happens when we take time off? I know. Is that, like... All the abortion news happens so much. Like Why? Why? <laughs> and sometimes it all happens in one day. Yeah, it really. <laughs> like we it, are, it here we are, like getting ready to do our year-end podcast and get all excited to like close things out. I'm starting to like 
vision board 2022 <laughs> and what that's going to look like and like manifest some cool shit in our lives. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, my God, everything happened. And I feel like I should catch you up, maybe. Yeah, because I-, I spent this week just sort of, I, I think for the first time in maybe five years, yeah. I didn't check Slack. Proud like, of I you. just didn't do it. I said, if you guys need to, co- if you need to contact me, text me. I'm not checking Slack. It felt weird. I had to check Slack the next day. <laughs> you did. Listeners, it didn't last. It did anyway, last. we tried. We tried. So, so, but you, but you like enforcing your boundaries is important. Yeah. So I'm going to give you the TLDR of everything that happened yesterday. Cause literally it was like a week's worth of news in oh, maybe two this hours. This Hold on exciting. to your butts. All right. All right. So first of all, SCOTUS cannot stop messing with abortion in Texas. Wait, what do you mean? We already had the, the we did that we did that thing already. No, we did no, no, no. Thing they already. won't stop, Amani. I'm telling you. What? We got an order this week in Holman's Health versus Jackson, the challenge to SB8. No, no, Jess, no, we already did SB8. Like two weeks or like a month ago, three weeks ago? Eh, we, had, we had oral arguments. Remember how we did that whole thing? So it won't stop. Ugh. There is an order. Gorsuch is causing problems. So I, listen, this, listen to what happened. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, when the Supreme Court issues a ruling, right? There's like some lag time afterwards, right? It doesn't like necessarily immediately go into effect. Right. Well, like we talked about with SB8, like this issue, this ruling that they issued in the provider's challenge was weird in part because the case got there in a weird way, right? On this like rocket docket. There was the original challenge and then the Fifth Circuit came in and was like, no, 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 no. You guys are moving too fast on this whole lawsuit business. We're going to sit on it for a while. And that's how it got to the Supreme Court. So it's really screwy. Mm -hmm. After the big ruling came down, the providers were like, hmm, what do we do? Like literally, Supreme Court, what do we do? And can you tell us pretty quickly what we do? Where do we go? Where does this case go next? So that was the issue that the order that they issued uh, this week. The Supreme Court basically said, we're going to skip the usual process and let this case proceed quickly. However, we're going to send it to the Fifth Circuit for it to proceed quickly. We already did this. We they they issued an order. We had the order. I mean, I'm still stuck on that. Why are is it is this unusual to sort of later be like, oh, by the way, here's some more stuff I forgot to say to have a a caveat order? Yeah, it is unusual, and it'll get more unusual because you know this the Texas law involves this really wacky private enforcement mechanism, right? That we've been talking about forever that nobody's ever seen of. Amani, this is a novel issue of state law. So do you know what that means? It means we have to have the Texas Supreme Court say something about it. That's not good. It's not good. So, listeners, here's what's going to happen. The Texas Supreme Court is probably going to get this case, and they're going to sit on it, and they're going to think a long time about whether or not that private enforcement mechanism is fine or not. And that's bad. I have a question. Wait, I have to stop you. Yeah. So you're saying that this case is going to end up in front of the Texas Supreme Court so that the Texas Supreme Court can decide whether under Texas law. Yeah. This SBA enforcement mechanism is is screwy. Yeah. That's what you're saying. And until the Texas Supreme Court decides that providers. It can't proceed in the Fifth Circuit. Can't proceed at all. They can't proceed in the Fifth Circuit. They can't proceed in the district court. It's like literally. I mean, Yeah. That's terrible. It was already bad. How th- how did they make it worse? I mean, truly, they did. Like, give Gorsuch 
credit, I guess, in the worst possible way for like, here, we're going to go ahead and like, sure, providers, you can have your day in court. Maybe. But like Eventually. six years from now, once in like 2028. Oh, my God. Ugh. This is what happens when we can't take time off, Jess. I know. Truly. For the next like <laughs> 10 months, we cannot take a day off. <laughs> but truly. So like we will be revisiting this issue over the course of the year because it's not going away in Texas. States are passing are trying to pass copycat laws. So whether or not these kinds of private enforcement mechanisms are hunky-dory as far as the courts is concerned is an open question to be solved in 2022. Thanks a lot, Neil Gorsuch. Ay, ay, ay. However. Right, so that's it, right? We can move on to nope. the book. No, 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 that's no. not it. Of course, that's not it. I'd be foolish to think that was it. I got some good news, though, Amani. Good news? I got good news for you. As in good news, the opposite of bad news? Legitimately good news related to abortion. Holy shit snacks. All right, hit me. Okay. On Thursday. Yeah. The FDA. Yeah. Loosened restrictions around medication abortion. What? Really big deal. Really? Yeah, but it's also kind of a mess. Sorry. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, the I highs are you... so high and the lows are so low. <laughs> I whipsawed you pretty quick on that. I'm so sorry. It's a roller coaster, this podcast episode. I am so excited also because you know what this means. I get to talk a little oh, bit about sexy admin action. It's the administrative procedure. A little act. arbitrary Ooh. and capricious, baby. How you gonna doing? gonna unzip my sweater She's for a little agency unzip, action. <laughs> <laughs> she is stripping to agency law. <laughs> Woo! All right. So I did just do a woo and shimmy on the year end podcast. It's been a year. All right. So here's what happened. The FDA loosened restrictions around medication abortion. Like I said, under the old regime and up until COVID, patients had to go in person to pick up abortion pills. And like, that's just kind of silly. Like, yeah. really, truly. You don't need to physically show up to pick up a pack of pills. You can mail that shit, right? Yep. FDA agrees, said, yo, the science is pretty clear. We don't need to have people come in in person and require that. So that's wonderful. So yeah, FDA permanently removed that requirement. Mifepristone can now be distributed by pharmacists at any quote unquote certified pharmacy. And yeah. that includes mail order pharmacies and brick and mortar pharmacies. So this is a big deal because, you know, mail order pharmacies are great. Brick-and-mortar pharmacies sometimes are really, truly the easiest place for people to go pick up a script. So good news there. But I have a question because I haven't been completely tuned out. Yeah. didn't th Wasn't there a Texas medication abortion ban that went into effect like last week? So how's that going to work? Yeah. So like I said, it's kind of a mess. And um, a big theme, I think, for the next year will be federalism. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a big fight between the federal government and the states. Because, yeah, Texas passed this law that, you know, basically bans medication abortion up at seven weeks. Other states, like I think they're 19 on record right now, that have telehealth bans that also gum up the works of this. So truly, this is a permanent easing of restrictions for folks who are in abortion-friendly states, for those that are not mm -hmm. gerrymandered. But it is also an opening, right? Because federalism fight. I don't have a whole lot of, like, I don't know, hope for what the federal courts will do there. But I do know that folks are creatively thinking around new ways to challenge some of those telehealth rules, to think of 
exciting and creative new ways to get abortion pills in the hands of folks who will have difficult times even under this new regime accessing it. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, just more people having access to medication abortion, even if it's in states that are not gerrymandered politically, is a good thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Borders are fluid. I might need to drive somewhere. I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know, it's a brave new world. And that genie's not going back in the bottle. So no, it's not. That's that's really that is really good news. I like Yeah, that. I like you know, that. and I mean, look, there's ugh, We've got the Dobbs case. There's so much we still have to talk about. It's not like this is a panacea. Mm -hmm. But to have a federal agency say unequivocally it is safe, the science behind this is clear when it comes to medication abortion, that's a big fucking deal to quote the president. It's a big fucking deal. And, you know, it's a reason that's one more, you know, mark in the column of Democrats and Republicans aren't the same because you can bet your bottom dollar that a Republican administration is going to... eh, yeah. That immediately. Yeah. So now, could the Biden administration have done more and loosened up restrictions even more? Yes. Yeah. They could have. They should have. But, but hey, this is I'm a, taking this, this. Good first step. Yeah. Really, really good first step. All right. All right, Joe. That's all, that's good. Good news, Joe. All right. Well, so if you love us and I know you do. Right. We've been busting our asses off this year. Please give us money. We need money. This next year is going to be the most pivotal year in abortion rights in 50 years, honestly. Easily. And Jess and I are, we are here. We are ready to cover it for you. We are more equipped than I think anyone else in the country to do it in a way that is fact-based and not going to make you want to jump out a window because it's going to be a difficult year. So if you like to, if you want to keep us in your ear holes and in your faces, virtually speaking, Please go to rewirenewsgroup.com slash donate. That's rewirenewsgroup.com slash donate. We need you and you need us, frankly. It's a mutual thing. Synergy. It is. <laughs> it is. It's synergy. Yeah. We've got it. All right. I can make my margarita, right? You can make a margarita. You're going to make a margarita right now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. While right. you do that, I'm going to introduce the next part of the show. We're going to do something a little bit different. We are going to have just a random cis white guy interview us about how we think this year went, what the state of abortion rights are, and the like. Just kidding. He's not a random cis white guy. He's our (laughs) cis white guy. Mark Folletti. He's our producer. He's been our producer for four years, working, toiling behind the scenes, helping us tighten up the show. We love him. We need to get out of our heads for a while, yes. and he's not a lawyer, and so he's really good at asking questions that we think non-lawyers will want to know, which is why our show is so good, quite frankly. Why Listeners, he to herds us cats. He does. <laughs> we are lawyers that need herding, and this is our herder, our cat herder, Mark Folletti. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome, Hello. Mark. Yeah, and, you know, I heard there was a topic where there weren't enough white guys talking, so I just, I got to get in here right away. <laughs> Definitely. And get in there. Me and Chris Hayes, we're out here having all kinds of thoughts. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, let's normalize uh, a few white guys maybe weighing in discreetly yeah. uh, on this issue so that, Agreed. you know, at least, you know, I, yeah, I should probably do like some kind of bro- Bro abortion podcast on the side or something. Bro abortion. Bro abortion. Uh, that's just cringe abortion all around. Abortion for bros. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, thank you guys for having me, though. It's fun to be on on the mics with you. I love this. Yeah, this is this great. Is great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I did have a lot of questions about how all of this went, because I always find that there's so much to keep track of that it can be difficult to distill 
the main takeaway. So I want to start with this question. If you had to sum up the year of abortion and the courts in a single headline, what would it be? Amani, I'd like to start with you. I'm going to go with, I mean, I, I already used bunch of bitches last time. <laughs> so I don't want to go with the federal courts are basically a bunch of bitches. But I kind of might have to do that because... You know, the Supreme Court has got my, my nicer way of saying it, the more, you know, safe for work would be Supreme Court goes rogue, right? Because they've gone rogue when it comes to abortion. They've clearly made it obvious that they don't consider abortion a constitutional right, which is why they've let SB8, the Texas law, languish for three months now nearly. So, A, they're a bunch of bitches. B, they've gone rogue. Gone rogue. Jess? You haven't shared your headline. You guys haven't shared these headlines with each other yet. So I just no, 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 no. I, I mean, truly, like, um, abortion. What the fuck happened? Like, I know, <laughs> but, but swear in our headlines. But the theme for me for this year truly is that we are on this accelerationist timeline. You know, Amani and I have been covering abortion rights in the courts for 10 years now. That's a long time. And we've been talking about this sort of slow, steady drumbeat of the rollback of access in the states, the, you know, stacking of the federal courts. And then really this year, really, it felt like that was it when it all snowballed. And, you know, we were, you know, we were braced for Dobbs. We knew that was going to happen. And then Texas. So truly abortion. What the fuck? I like that. Do you think this has happened faster than you would have predicted six months ago, Jess? Like, is this timeline worse than you thought even when we were preparing for all of this? Yes, it is. Um, I mean, I figured that there would be acceleration, but I did not anticipate truly the way that like Texas would just you know, lay the gas straight on like that was, you know, and we knew the ban was bad. Amani and I covered the ban over on the website and we talked about this on the podcast when a lot of folks in media didn't even have it on their radar. So we knew that SB8 was bad. I did not anticipate the federal courts going off the rails to the degree that they did. And I do really think that that's the Barrett nomination and confirmation um, in reality. There are a lot of judges who saw an opening and decided to take it. And unless there is some way to push back against that, they're going to continue to do that. Abortion is just the opening. I just want to yes and that and say that also states saw an opening when Barrett was yeah. nominated, mm -hmm. right? Because Mississippi filed its original cert petition saying, hey, can you examine our ban under current law? And then Ginsburg dies, Barrett ascends to the court, and when they file their merits brief is, JK, we want you to overturn Roe and Casey. Exactly. So there's a lot of a lot of people just looking for loopholes and just engaging in legal shenanigans in order to get this result. So to take us back to your headline then, Imani, do you think the court has gone even more rogue than you thought? Or is this about what you expected after the Barrett nomination? They've still gone even more rogue than I thought. I think the SB8 enforcement mechanism was so bizarre mm. that any any nonpartisan court, any non-captured court would have said, this is bonkers. We're going to block this law and then we'll figure the rest of this stuff out. Right. Mm -hmm. And we now know with California, the California governor has just announced that they're going to do a similar thing with gun control, with with ghost gun kits and assault rifles. They're going to turn over enforcement of no assault rifles and no ghost gun kits to the public. The Supreme Court is going to block that in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. So mm -hmm. it just lays bare the hypocrisy that we all know is there. But it's 
it's it's more hypocritical than I thought it was going to be. And that says a lot, I think, and nothing good. Well, let's recap these two cases in a little more detail, because like I said, there's a lot to follow. And even as we talked about up top with y'all's news update, it, you know, it never stops changing either. So, Imani, let's check in on the status of the Dobbs case first, because we haven't talked about that too much yet. Where are we at in the process? And what do you think we'll remember the most a year or so from now about what has happened so far? Well, right now we are, what are we, 16 days past oral arguments um, leading up to oral. Let me just backtrack a little bit. The case is about a 15 week gestational ban out of Mississippi. Generally, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, pre-viability abortion bans are unconstitutional. There should have been no no conversation about that. Instead, what we got was, well, Barrett's now on the bench. Can you just overturn Roe and Casey? And the court was like, eh, sure, we'll take a look at that. And so I think that's where we are. We are in a place where Roe is, is functionally nullified in Texas. And as Jess often says, in the Mississippi case, the court is going to have to show its work. It's going to have to explain why it is it's just been sitting on its hand in Texas, why it is that it doesn't consider con- abortion to be a constitutional right. And in a year from now, I mean, I think we're going to be living in a world where either Roe is outright overturned or where abortion rights are just thrown back to the states, thrown back to these gerrymandered and voter suppressed Republican states, which is not good. So are we going to hear from them on Dobbs in any way before we get a decision? Or is that mostly put to bed for a, from a procedural standpoint? It's put to bed for, for from a procedural standpoint. We are going to hear... From the court on Dobbs, my prediction is June 21st. No, June <laughs> wow. 24th, 2022. <laughs> I looked at the calendar wow. like that's like the last Friday in June. Um, well, I hope that wasn't a massive jinx we just did. It's like, oh, we're definitely not going to hear from them on this. Just like, oh, wait. Just no, kidding. Well, I mean, here's, you know, here's any- the decision on the row anniversary. Right, anything. Boom, oh, boom, my boom. God. Could you imagine if they did that? Oh, my oh God. no. <laughs> it is the darkest timeline. Just thank you so much for I've that. Ever heard. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And given my Cassandra of the courts role, I go. Can we rewind the tape? and eat those words bottle that back in that shit is scary good good guy i'm so sorry i'm muting myself goodbye (laughs) no unmute yourself because i have questions for you jess (laughs) about sb8 so that's where we were on jobs let's talk about sb8 you just told us up top that sb8 is now tangled up and all these procedural weeds and the texas supreme court now gets to have its say about the enforcement mechanism maybe and fifth circuit's involved i guess my question at this point on texas sb8 ban is can this get any messier? Oh, Mark, this is abortion. It can <laughs> always get messier. Um, yeah, it can because really what's... So when we talk about abortion lawsuits, we're usually talking about federal courts. We're talking about the federal law, you know, con- the constitutional right to abortion. What is going to get messy about SB8 in the short term is that this is all going to be existing in state courts. So in addition to the news update that I gave at the upfront of the show, there are also lawsuits in state courts by individual providers challenging the enforcement mechanism to try and create some windows of opportunities for them to still deliver care. So that's good. And they're having some success there. But it's reinforcing a patchwork of opinions and decisions. And so like one provider has uh, an injunction against this particular terrible anti-choice group from, you know, enforcing the uh, SB8 ban, but not against this one. And so it's just going to be 
a very tumultuous time for people trying to deliver care, trying to access care, trying to help folks that do. And then also, because this is kind of my job, um, it, oh, it creates a lot of opportunity for the state courts and also the federal courts when the Fifth Circuit jumps back into this to craft bad law. You know, um, one of the things that I will say that I am worried about with all of the gaming that is going on procedurally with the SBA challenges is that the anti-choice movement is trying to craft an argument that abortion is an essential service, right? So what do I mean by that? The longer it is more difficult and effectively impossible to get abortion care in a state like Texas, the easier quote unquote, in scare quotes, it will be for anti-choice lawyers to go to the Supreme Court if they don't overturn Roe versus Wade and Dobbs and use Texas as a case study. So I really do feel like there is nonsense happening um, from the anti-choice movement and they are using the legal levers to, you know, facilitate that end. So I do expect it to get messier and I expect it to get messier when states like, you know, Ohio or or, uh, Missouri or Alabama pass copycat bills, because then we may end up in a spot where we have one state saying the enforcement mechanism is okay, another state saying the enforcement mechanism isn't okay, conflict of law between those states, all involving a federal constitutional right, this is truly uncharted legal waters. Amani's laughing at me. (laughs) No, because I like conflicts of law and I like civil procedure. I hate this. This is my nightmare. (laughs) I know it is. And agency law is mine. So that's why we're a good team. Yeah. Can we go back to the Administrative Procedure Act, please? (laughs) I want to talk more about arbitrary and capricious. So now that California has the Enforcement mechanism applied to a law on guns. And then Florida was like, if a school talks about race, you can sue the pants off them using the same thing. I mean, do y'all have any thoughts about this enforcement mechanism spilling out past abortion at this point? Because it's still unknown as to whether this is viable or not. Honestly, before the woke act or whatever that it was that Ron (laughs) DeSantis introduced that allows people to sue schools that teach their kids that, you know, MLK had a dream once. Um, I, I before that, I would have said no. I would have said, you know, this was a ploy specifically in order to banish abortion. And like this year, basically, before the court was able to do it by, you know, in the Dobbs case. And so I was always under the, the impression that once abortion was banned or criminalized or once states were permitted to ban or criminalize it, there would be no need for this weird enforcement mechanism because conservatives don't want that turned on them. But then here comes Ron DeSantis with the Woke Act. And, you know, all of this stuff is connected. This, you know, this assault Mm -hmm. on public education is definitely connected to to, you know, low contraception rates and high abortion rates. You know, kids can't get evidence based sex education in schools. Right. And so it's just the assault on public uh, public education is absolutely a repro justice issue. And so I can 100 percent see anti-choicers, right, because the anti-choice movement is steeped in white supremacy and was mm-hmm. born of segregation or born of integration and the, the backlash against integration, I could see them moving over to this whole critical race theory panic because they're not going to have abortion to rally votes in 2024 or even 2022, right? They won't even have that in 2022. So they're going to have to pivot to something else. And I think what that thing is is going to be critical race theory and public education. But I don't know. I'm, that's just... 
yeah. I want to yeah. yes and Imani because I, I'm really like in, excited is not the right word. But this question, I think, is is important because, you know, as, from a historical perspective, as a country, we've kind of been here before. And what we're seeing is, a you know, a resurgence of what are functionally, you know, private militias to enforce what during Reconstruction was white landed interests. Mm-hmm. And that's a functionally the same thing here, right? Like, so... It's the abortion KKK. It really, truly is. And so, you know, what we are what we are seeing is a backlash to a bunch of social progress. And the only way to enforce that backlash is through private mercenaries. And so I think Amani's right. We will see that bleed into other areas where those forces align. That's why we won't see it applied in, you know, blue states when they try to pass a similar enforcement mechanism to, you know, apply to gun manufacturers. But we absolutely will see mandates on what teachers can teach in the class in terms of anti-critical race theory and what, you know, enforcing that kind of thing. I expect it'll bleed into some of the anti-trans spaces too, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there is, this is, you know, applying surveillance philosophy to marginalize communities broadly. Voting rights, I can see people going up into to, to election. They're already, I mean, functionally, they're yeah. Functionally like there, so give them the power of the state and let them loose. And of course, it's not going to apply to, you know, when like the Black Panthers show up at some place in Philadelphia. It's only going to apply to the Red Hats when they show up to some place in Philadelphia. Yeah, that seems like the running theme, right, with this enforcement yep. mechanism is it's going to be applied, allowed to be in place for whatever the Supreme Court deems laws they like versus mm-hmm. the ones that they don't or the people that they don't like will not get those private mercenary exemptions. Yes. <laughs> super fun, super fun. So, you know, this mechanism is totally unique to SB8. And then you've got Dobbs over here, which is also about a different ban at a different time of pregnancy from a different state. You know, Amani, what would you say is a common thread that ties these two cases together? Because I feel like we're always talking about them at the same time, but they're so much different. What unites these two cases? I think what unites them is the utter lack of regard for patients, for the people who are harmed by these laws, right? Because what struck me so much about the SB8, the hearing and the ruling was the concentration on the procedural portion, the sovereign immunity portion, talking about ex parte v. Young. SB8 is a case about abortion, but we didn't really hear about abortion. And even more so in Dobbs, like Dobbs was the direct challenge to Roe. I kept saying SB8 was a direct challenge to Roe because they actually asked the court to overturn Roe. The court didn't actually pay attention to that particular bit of it. But in Dobbs, we had this direct challenge to Roe. And even then, we didn't hear a whole lot about harm to patients, harm to pregnant people, the importance of abortion, right? It took Sonia Sotomayor was the one to say, hey, wait a minute. When are we going to talk about the women who are affected by this? When are we going to talk about the pregnant people that are affected by this? And so, you know, we lawyers tend to get in our heads a lot and we like to talk about the law as an abstract thing. And one of the things that irritates me is when I read articles from other legal scholars, I'm not going to name names on here, but other legal scholars that write for other more conservative outlets, they're just circle jerking each other, right? They're just talking to each other about really interesting things about sovereign immunity and ex parte v. Young and these very the things that people don't care about. No one cares about the civil procedure portions of these cases. They care about the bits that are affecting people. And I wish I could get more legal scholars, more legal pundits, more journalists, and the court itself to care more about harm to people. Well, Jess, 
Hmm. What then, I guess, as we come out of this recap on these cases, do we want to keep in mind that is unique, or I guess uniquely terrible, about each of these cases or crises with SB8 and with Dobbs? Oh, this is a great question. So let me start with Dobbs. What I think I would really hope folks understand that's uniquely terrible about uh, the Dobbs case is that it is a, like, from tip to tail, a piece of political action. There was nothing organic or natural about the way that the Mississippi 15-week ban came into existence, was passed, or the way that this, the court decided to intervene and step into the dispute here. We've talked about this on the podcast a bunch. There is zero conflict in the federal courts as to whether or not laws like Mississippi's are unconstitutional. They are. They are patently unconstitutional until the Supreme Court formally overturns Roe versus Wade, which they have not yet done so. So they shouldn't have taken the Dobbs case from the beginning. But they did. And then when they took the case... When the state of Mississippi presented its presto changeo on the question that Imani talked about from, hey, just uphold our ban under existing law to, hey, rewrite existing law entirely, the Supreme Court should have pumped the brakes. But it didn't. Mm -hmm. It moved forward. And all of those things are huge, uniquely terrible red flags about the Dobbs case that should that should frankly give us all a really good sense of where the court is going on this. So so there's that. What is uniquely terrible about SB8 is the fact that the Supreme Court allowed this case to take effect on the shadow docket. And we talked about that also. The status quo in SB8 would have been to block this case before it took effect and to give the lower courts the opportunity that now they're getting to examine things like this enforcement mechanism because it's brand new. The status quo, and in legal circles, the status quo is really conservative. We do not like to rock the boat. The status quo is maintaining the most conservative position possible. The status quo would have been to keep procedure in place. But Sam Alito and the conservatives upended the status quo. And by doing that, it was a shadow overruling of Roe versus Wade. That is not how our federal courts can work. And that showed us that as far as at least abortion rights and maybe other rights that the court conservatives don't like as well, they are fine upending them under cover of darkness with no transparency and no accountability to anybody. Well, damn. On that note, let's dig in further about these people with no accountability and whatnot. Because you guys know I love ranking things. And I oh, want to yeah. I want to talk about some of the worst and best people who were involved in all of this incredible, you know, drama doesn't do its service because it's just it's truly life and death issues yeah. that are like playing out in real time in front of us. So, Monty, I do know that there were a lot of bad actors in 2021 on abortion. But if you had to pick one person to nominate as the villain of the year, who would it be? I'm going to go with Jess's white lady nemesis, Amy Coney Barrett. Because number mm -hmm. one, she shouldn't be on the court in the first place. Like it is, I, I just want to reiterate this, but she should not be on the court in the first place. Ruth Bader Ginsburg body wasn't even cold yet, right? When Mitch McConnell called everybody up and was like, hey, we got another seat. People were already voting 
People were already voting. So it's really unconscionable. And like, sure, I'm sure if some president came up to me and was like, hey, want to be on the Supreme Court? I know people are voting. I'd probably be like, yeah, all right, great. Like, I understand the (laughs) self-interestedness of it. I understand that. But it doesn't make it suck any less, particularly Mm -hmm. because she's going to be, you know, that sixth, that fifth or sixth vote, because I think they're... I don't know. I don't want to get too far off the field, but she's going to be either the fifth or sixth vote to overturn Roe. And Jess has talked about this a lot. And I don't know what the answer to her question is. So I hope I'm not stealing her thunder here. But she talks a lot about her fear that Amy Coney Barrett is going to be the person that writes the opinion and writes it from a feminist lens. And I think, you know, I am real. I am. I've signed on to that fear, especially in the wake of oral arguments listening to Amy Coney Barrett talk about safe haven laws and talk about, you know, well, sure, yeah, you career ladies want to have jobs and go work on Wall Street or whatever. But, you know, just take 10 months and gestate this baby for the state and then toss it at the firehouse. And then you can go right back to being a career woman or whatever it is you sinners do. I mean, that's the (laughs) feminist lens that we're going to get, right? And this, and, and that's sort of prevailing. We don't need abortion anymore. Who needs abortion? Women are free. We're free. And I just, I, I'm going to hate so much reading that opinion. Should she be the one to write? I mean, I'm going to hate it if Alita or Thomas writes it too. But I'm going to really, like my uterus is going to hate it if she writes it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to argue with that. I had a tie, though. Okay. Um, And uh, the tie was between Sam Alito and Jonathan Mitchell, who was the architect of the private enforcement mechanism ban in SB8. Former Scalia law clerk and just kind of all around showed. Um, (laughs) Like, (laughs) not a fan of that dude. Um, uh, For a lot of reasons that Imani talked about um, when she, uh, when you were talking about the the thing that threads these cases together, and that's the harm. You know, one of the things that has been so frustrating, um, even in progressive circles, is the fact that the existential threat to abortion rights is being treated like an intellectual exercise, like a law firm or a law school final. And it's not. You know, um, it is very real. Um, People's lives are absolutely in the balance here. And so to think that this is like, oh, I'm just going to do like a law review note on this cool little fascist-like scheme... That's terrible. But Sam Alito is truly the bad guy for me this year because his handprints are all over the upending of Roe on the shadow docket. You know, he did this with public unions and sort of telegraphing to the conservative movement how they can go through the courts to bust public unions um, and even private sector unions. Doing the same thing on abortion rights by, you know, helping facilitate SB8 take effect on the shadow docket. And then just, I don't know. He's Sam Alito. Yeah. Little Sam Alito. Little angry man. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Finger guns, <laughs> yeah, Sam Alito. Exactly. He's definitely got finger guns. Well, let's wash that taste out of our mouth and talk about some people who are fighting back against yeah. these nefarious plans and bad actors. Amani, let's start with you. Who inspired you the most in this fight in 2021? People like Lauren Underwood, right? Like the people who are just going hard when it comes to improving the birth outcomes of black women, you know? Yeah. Like, I just think that that's, yeah. I mean, I'm going to keep my answer short. Representative Lauren Underwood, every single person who signed on to the Momnibus bill, I don't like the name, but I really like the content. We got to talk about that name, guys. <laughs> and we we got we to gotta workshop that name. But, you know, it it encourages me at a time when you can go on Twitter and see disaffected people talking about like Democrats don't care about abortion, 
You know what I mean? I got into it with mm-hmm. Susan Sarandon a little bit last week because she was like, well, Democrats don't care about abortion rights. Otherwise, they would have blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know what? I'm not here to stand all Democrats, but I am here to stand the ones who are, will not stand, but to support and to, and to admire and to, and to speak out in favor of those who really do care about abortion rights, those who have been working towards it, working to Kamala Harris is another person, really working towards making this place a less hostile birthing environment for black and brown people. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And I love that answer, Ivani, because it also connects the fact that, you know, um, abortion and birth are all one part of the reproductive spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't improve um, outcomes without treating the whole thing. That's good. Lauren Underwood's awesome. Come on the podcast. Yeah. Come on the podcast. <laughs> if you're listening. Well, Jess, what about your inspiration? Where does it come from? Who, who brought you some hope in 2021? I want to give the biggest shout out to all of our abortion providers right now. Dr. Moyetti, Dr. Leah Torres, the folks who have just, you know, particularly in the South and Midwest are there every day, not only delivering care, but frankly, given a big middle finger to all of the anti-choice lawmakers, anti-choice forces, and just doing it like, it, you know, their livelihood and families are under threat, under surveillance, and they wake up every day and do that. And, you know, they've got clinic staff who support them. And so, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I'm like, well, hell, if these <laughs> folks are getting up and doing their job. I can suck it up because all I have to do is yell on the internet by comparison. (laughs) So that is much easier. But truly, it's the folks who are in the weeds giving care every day. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's look ahead a little bit to 2022 because I feel like you got to do that when you're wrapping up one year and moving into the next because this train doesn't stop, apparently. That's, That's what I took away from your news update at the top anyway. So, Imani, can you give me a prediction, one prediction at least for 2022? Well, Roe's going down, baby. (laughs) Roe is going down. And I keep saying that because not to make people feel bad, but really to get us all, people who are abortion rights enthusiasts, to get us all to a place where we know that that's going to happen or at least prepare ourselves for that eventuality. Because I can see a world where the court tries to troll, you know, to troll us and be like, see, we didn't end abortion. We're doing it next year. But aside from that, I really want to get us to a place where we all accept this reality and then we can move forward in productive ways. Because what I don't want to see is us spending the first three to four months of next year just whinging about how it's not fair because it isn't fair. Right. And we all know it's not fair, but there are a lot of folks who have been working really, really hard. And so if we just listen to them, I think we can get through this. Do you think people will be clear that Roe is screwed? Or will this come in that sort of backdoor way where they're going to try to pretend like somehow they're going to resolve Dobbs in favor of the Mississippi ban and do all of that, but it's actually going to be overturned, but everyone's going to have room for all the like conservative-ish pundits to claim that maybe this is all okay? I mean, they're already doing that, right? They're already, mm. There are already op-eds in, in the Washington Times. The Washington Times. <laughs> Isn't I'm that, sure there are op-eds in the Washington Times, That's a real Times, next honestly. level conservatism. Yeah, that's seriously. <laughs> the New York Times, excuse me, and the Washington Post where people are like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I don't see the court overturning Roe versus Wade, but I can see them siding with Mississippi. You cannot. The Supreme Court of these United States 
cannot side with Mississippi without overturning Roe versus Wade. It can't be done. So I understand that overturning Roe versus Wade sounds scary and momentous, but just siding with Mississippi on this little band doesn't sound so bad. No, it's bad. It's all bad. So let's let's all just breathe that in, exhale it, and then move forward. So we're going to get the overturning of Roe, but it's going to be couched probably in this false language of compromise. That's kind of what I'm taking away from this. All right. Well... Great. Okay. <laughs> Woo. So it's, it's well, it's because it's that's kind of the worst of both worlds, as I as I hear you say that, right? Where yeah. the ban, the overturn happens, but we there's enough cover to minimize the amount of people who will be aware of this and be outraged about it and take action around it. So that's yeah, that's a little alarming. Uh, so that part of the house is on fire. Jess, do you have a prediction for 2022? <laughs> Stephen Breyer still isn't going to retire. Why start now, right? Seriously. And then McConnell's going to hold his seat. Yeah, no, that's no, honestly, that's the that's the that's the end game here. You know, Mitch McConnell recently was like, I don't know what I would do if there was an open Supreme Court <laughs> seat and the midterms went our way. Who's to say, really? Why? What's, that's a question. We have a move along question. No, we know what Republicans are going to do. You know, uh, Democrats have not done a good job on pushing the courts issue and the existential threat to our democracy as a result of it. And I don't think Stephen Breyer gets it. And I think he's doubling down. So I don't think he's going to retire next year. I feel like he's doubling down in backlash, kind of like he knows everyone wants him to retire. And he's like, exactly. I'm not doing it. (laughs) Exactly. He's stomping his foot. Yeah. Did you take any hope away from Elizabeth Warren coming out in favor of expanding the court by four seats? Yeah, I love it. But how's it going to happen with Manchin and everybody else? Like, you know, we are back in the same circular uh, place that we are until the, you know, until folks get serious about the big structural problems that we have in Congress right now. None of these things is getting through. And I don't want to be a downer. That's not doomsday stuff. That's just a like clear eyed look at the land. Like, yes, let's add four seats. But we got to get a mechanism to get that passed first. Yeah. It's a little, little tricky, a little muddy water between here and, and there. A little bit. A little scary. So let's not end on those down notes. Yeah. Jess, do you have a hope for 2022? One of the things that I really do, that it has been consistently inspiring to me throughout a very difficult year is the ways in which um, the abortion rights and access communities have continued to really work together um, and support each other. So, I what I am seeing now is a push in grassroots spaces to really think creatively and outside of the box in terms of delivering access to care. And that is hopeful for me because the courts aren't going to save us. Um, And we don't have a lot of clear pathways, even from the federal government, to do much now to stem the immediate crisis. And so the people in these spaces that are dedicated um, and do this work, like they are undeterred. And if they are undeterred, I am undeterred. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is the one question we had the same answer for. Because <laughs> mine was going to, mine is, is that more people become activated and instead of trying to branch out on their own and do their own thing, they plug into the existing abortion access infrastructure that's already in their state. Yeah. A lot of it is 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 w- led by women of color, badass women who have been mm-hmm. working so hard under the most difficult circumstances with practically no resources. So I'm really I, 
like like Jess said, if they're undeterred, I'm undeterred, right? Like I, I I'm I'm living comfortably here. My job, as Jess said, is just yelling on the internet and educating people. These are folks who are dealing with patients in crisis. They are dealing with providers who are stressed and trying to make those connections. And I feel like the courts aren't going to save us, but you know, grassroots organizers might. Black women just yep. might, <laughs> yep. even though it should not shouldn't be our fucking job. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's a great point. And, you know, before we get out of here, first of all, thank you both for letting me hop on for a few minutes and ask you all my burning questions as we wrap up this year. And the second thing I want to say is thank you, because, you know, I hope I speak on behalf of our thousands of listeners that, you know, you're not just answering my questions, you're answering all of their questions every week. You know, you've given so much energy, you've provided a platform for people to learn so much material and it's just not boring with you guys. And that makes such a difference. And I just really appreciate everything you've given to this podcast, to the listeners, to the whole experience of analyzing this incredibly critical moment in American history. Well, Aww, try to make bye. us cry, Mark. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't do it though. I failed at the end. Here's I wanted no, tears. No, I have a little tears. There's a little tear. Thank you, Mark. I'm that really means a lot. And also at our end, thank you for being the great producer that you have been. I mean, Truly. Not, I don't know why we're acting like we're ending this podcast. It's just the year. <laughs> we're not dying or anything, people. But I do want to say that Mark has been so integral when it comes mm-hmm. to corralling us, making sure that we are delivering this information in a way that is understandable and in a way that's fun. So... He puts up with so much shit. You guys have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's not true. It's the it's the it's one of the most fun jobs you could possibly have is producing this pod. Uh, And and obviously, even though we're in this dark moment, I appreciate how much y'all turn to opportunities for a little bit of hope, a little bit of silver lining, even as we stare down and do not look away from the impending clouds that are are pouring in and and threaten quite a bit of rain. Well, Mark, do you want to do our outro? Take us out. Oh, my God. Um. (laughs) Yeah, look, if you want to talk more about this, you can find Imani on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. You can talk to Jess on Twitter at Hegemami, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. I didn't sing it, though. Maybe I should sing it. H-E-G-E-O-M. When I, st- I misspelled it. I fell off. The t- I'm already off course. See, this is why hosting is harder than it looks, y'all. But for real, uh, follow Rewire News Group. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook, all at Rewire News Group. Tons of stuff going on there. Our social media editor is absolutely killing it. This is the perfect time to get on board with those platforms. And if you want to find me for whatever reason, (laughs) you can find me on Twitter at Mark Folletti. That's Mark with a C, F-A-L-E-T-T-I. Thanks, y'all. Ask him about the MCU when you find him. Ask him about oh his Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, okay, wanna, oh you God. might want to subscribe to that. No, no. We're plugging your podcast, damn it. It's my little side, my little side thing for fun. But look, what are we going to do? See you on the tubes, folks. See you on the tubes, folks. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piclo and Imani Gandhi. Mark Filetti produces the show. 